السلام عليكم ورحمة الله تعالى وبركاته إن الحمد لله إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وحبيبنا محمدا عبده ورسوله يقول الله جل وعلا في كتابه الكريم يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن إلا وأنتم مسلمون يا أيها الذين آمنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم أعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم 
وَشَرَّ الْأُمُورِ مُحْدَثَاتُهَا وَكُلَّ مُحْدَثَةٍ بِدْعَةٍ وَكُلَّ بِدْعَةٍ ضَلَالَةٍ وَكُلَّ ضَلَالَةٍ فِي النَّارِ أَعَاذَنَ اللَّهُ وَإِيَّاكُمْ مِنْهَا أَجْمَعِينَ أَمَّا بَعْدْ Dear brothers and sisters, in the third chapter of the Holy Qur'an, Surah Al Imran, Allah Ta'ala commanded His Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam Saying, Qul Sadaqallah. Qul Sadaqallah. Say, Allah spoke the truth. And as we mentioned two weeks ago, when we as members of the Ummah of Sayyiduna Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wa Alihi Wasallam truly engage with the divine speech, the Quran, we will see things around us occurring exactly as Allah said they would occur. And when we see that confirmation, it will increase us in our Iman. For it is through the Holy Qur'an that we learn about human nature. It is through the Qur'an that we learn about the world and its reality. And it is through the Qur'an that we learn about the forces of darkness the forces of light, and the proper responses we should have to what is going on around us. When the noble companions of the Prophet ﷺ saw the 10,000 strong army surrounding them during the battle of Al-Ahzab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Qur'an what their response was. And he says in Surah Al-Ahzab, that they said when seeing 10,000 soldiers surrounding Medina, هَذَا مَا وَعَدَنَا اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَصَدَقَ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ وَمَا زَادَهُمْ إِلَّا إِيمَانًا وَتَسْلِيمًا They said this is what Allah and His Messenger have promised us and Allah and His, and His Messenger have spoken the truth. And it did not increase them except in Iman and in submission. So we as believers in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and believers in the message of his final prophet Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam when we see the things unfolding around us in the world today all we can say is Sadaqallahu wa rasooluh Allah and his messenger have spoken the truth. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam is known as al-sadiq al-masduq the one who is truthful and the one who is confirmed as truthful he spoke the truth and he spoke about the conditions of this ummah what this ummah will go through he spoke about the causes for the strength of this ummah as well as the causes of its weakness. So today we want to spend a little bit of time looking at two very important and pivotal hadith that describe the state of the ummah. The first hadith is the hadith recorded by Imam Abu Dawood in his Sunan from Thawban radiallahu anhu who relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said, 
yushiku al-umamu an tada'a alaykum kama tada'a al-akalatu ila qas'atiha faqala qa'in wa min qillatin nahnu yawma'idhin qala bal antum yawma'idhin kathir walakinnakum ghutha' كغثاء السيل ولينزعن الله من صدور عدوكم المهابة منكم وليقذفن في قلوبكم الوهم فقال قائل يا رسول الله وما الوهن قال حب الدنيا وكراهية الموت صدق رسول الله صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم in this hadith he said that the nations, the umam, the nations are about to call each other and set upon you just as diners set upon a platter of food. It was said by someone, O Messenger of Allah, will this be because of our small numbers on that day? And he said, rather, on that day, you will be many, but you will be like Ghutha. Ghutha is the foam that collects on the side of riverbanks. You can also call it scum. Ghutha, walakinnakum ghutha ka ghutha sail. You'll be like the foam on the river. And Allah will remove the fear of you from the hearts of your enemies. And he will cast wahan into your hearts. Someone asked him, O Messenger of Allah, what is this wahan? What is wahan? And he said, Hubbud dunya wa karahiyatul maut. It is love for the material world and hatred for death. Dear brothers and sisters, this hadith is one of the dala'ilun nubuwa. It's one of the proofs of prophethood. Because the condition of the ummah in this hadith is foretold and it unfolded exactly as it was described and predicted by the Prophet ﷺ. So let's unpack this hadith. Number one, we learn from this hadith that the ummah, the nations, are going to call each other and set upon you as diner set upon a platter of food. Notice here that he does not say it will come from one nation. He says umam in the plural, many nations. Each of the diners will go to their respective area around the platter to eat. And likewise, the nations will divide up the territory of the Muslims. The Sahaba عليهم, were wondering about this. They were wondering, will this be because on that, in that time the number of Muslims will be very small and this will therefore make it easy for them to be overran by their enemies? But the Prophet corrected them because they were thinking that perhaps the cause for this is purely material, purely external factors. And he said, it's not due to an external cause. It's not due to the lack of material or manpower or numbers. He said the ummah in that time will be numerous 
antum yawma idhin kathir on that day you will be numerous and indeed the ummah is numerous we are 1.9 billion human beings on earth 1.9 billion the second largest religion after christianity but these massive numbers of muslims he said will not be a deterrent because he said you will be like the foam like the foam on the river and here he uses a similitude a method saying that the ummah will be like the foam on a river think about that foam is insubstantial it's flimsy it's weak no one is scared of foam on the river bank no matter how large that foam appears because it doesn't have substance it doesn't have strength it's flimsy after this the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa wasallam mentions that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do two things and the first thing he mentions is that allah will remove the fear of the muslims from the hearts of their enemies allah does that allah removes the fear from the hearts of their enemies this is important to reflect on for just a moment firstly it tells us that the ummah will have enemies we want good for humanity we want guidance for all of humanity but we do acknowledge and realize that not everyone has love for islam or for the ummah and there's different types of people some are enemies that will remain enemies for the ummah until the very end and then there are some enemies that will remain enemies for some time but they will enter into a sulh some form of alliance or a treaty with the muslims and then there are other enemies who will eventually soften their stance soften their attitudes and enter into alliances and maybe even become muslims themselves which is what happened after the mongol invasion and allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about this reality as well when he says subhanahu wa ta'ala asa allahu an yaj'ala baynakum wa bayna alladhina 'adaytum minhum mawaddah wallahu qadir wallahu ghafurun rahim he says perhaps allah may bring about goodwill between you and those from them who you are now holding as enemies for allah is all powerful and allah is all forgiving and merciful secondly from this we also understand that there was a time when the enemies of the ummah had fear in their hearts towards the ummah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa alihi wa sallam mentions in the hadith that I was giving uniquely five things to the exclusion of everyone else and of those five things given to him uniquely by Allah he mentions وَنُصِرْتُ بِالرُّعْبِ مَسِيرَةَ شَهَرِ he was given victory and aid by means of fear cast into the hearts of his enemies at a distance of one month's journey so this fear and hesitancy to attack the ummah will be removed from their hearts but who removes that fear the prophet sallallahu alaihi wa wasallam says it is allah who removes that fear from the hearts of the enemy so that is the first thing allah removes that fear from the hearts of the enemy it's by allah 
And then the Prophet sallallahu alaihi mentions the second thing. He says, and then Allah will cast wahn into your hearts. Now the Sahaba knew what wahn is. One of them, however, asked, Ya Rasulullah, what is this wahn you speak of? And wahn in Arabic very clearly means feebleness and weakness, a loss of vigor, a loss of courage. It has all of those meanings. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa defined it exactly by saying it is hubbud dunya wa karahiyatul mawt. It is love for the material world and hatred of death. Love of the material world means inclining to the dunya, being preoccupied with the dunya, treating the dunya as if it is the most important thing, if not living as if it's the only thing. That's what it means to have hubbud dunya, treating the world as if it is the top priority. Karahiyatul maut, hatred of death, is not referring to the survival instinct that Allah has placed within human beings. It is referring rather to clinging to the world and not making the hereafter a priority. Disliking the journey to the hereafter because it doesn't really seem real. This seems real, so we treat it as if it's the only real thing. And therefore, we don't want to leave it. That is karahiyatul maut. Dear brothers and sisters, this comprehensive hadith teaches us so many things. It teaches us that the enemies of the ummah of the Prophet ﷺ will pay very close attention to our conditions. And when they see weakness, they will take advantage of it. It teaches us that the Muslims also possess a lot of resources, a lot of riches in wealth. And that is why the enemies of the ummah desire those lands to try to conquer them. This hadith also teaches us that the ummah will reach a state where it cannot defend itself against its enemies and defend itself in its own honor. This hadith also teaches us that those enemies will gather together, not just one nation, but several, and that they will each take a portion of the Muslim lands, just as diners gather around a platter. And isn't that exactly what happened? Isn't that exactly what happened? That is exactly why we even have nation states today through artificial borders. Why do we even have the borders? It's because those borders were carved up by people making decisions of who gets what and when and how. It's because it was already divided up to begin with, like people gathered around a plate picking their portion. This hadith also teaches us, dear brothers and sisters, that our strength is not in large numbers. Our strength is not in material resources or manpower but rather our strength, our source of strength is in our adherence to the way of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam. This hadith also teaches us that there is no way out of humiliation except by having the opposite qualities mentioned in this hadith. Instead of hubbud dunya, love of the material world, 
there has to be priority to the hereafter. Instead of karahiyatul maut, a hatred of death, there is pursuit of the pleasure of Allah in the hereafter. وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى The hereafter is better and longer lasting. صَدَقَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمُ Some of the ulama, when speaking about this hadith, have said that it defines what they call الْمَرْحَلَةُ الْغُثَائِيَّةِ or the غُثَائِي period, taken from that word foam, the foam on the riverbank. This, this does not mean, however, that the ummah will be completely deprived of goodness and good, pious, God-fearing Muslims. That's not what it means. But it means that this will be a time where the sharia is generally absent. Most Muslim lands do not govern by the laws of Allah and His Messenger, You all know that. Take a look, take a look at most Muslim countries and you will find that very little of the sacred law of Allah and His Messenger is actually enforced. With the exception of what is called Al-Ahwal Al-Shakhsiyya, family law, the laws governing marriage and divorce and inheritance and things like that. That's the only thing really enforced in most Muslim countries. Everything else is all up for grabs. Likewise, it means that there's no real political unity within the ummah that is really conducive to the preservation of the Islamic identity. It means that the Muslims, by and large, both citizens as well as rulers, will not have independent political and economic authority they will be subject to the dictates of external powers. That is the reality. Even if there is a ruler who happens to emerge in some place and he sincerely wants to rule justly, he finds that he cannot really do so outside of this artificially constructed, ready-made system that's already in place governing economic policies and alliances and so on. And survival depends on them recognizing these external mechanisms. The IMF, the UN, you name it. They are artificially contained within these constructs. Now the Prophet ﷺ explained that all of this that we see goes back to our own wahn our own feebleness that comes from love of the material world and hatred of death. And we see this and its effects all around us. There are 7 million people in the Zionist state. 7 million people. And we watch helplessly as the Zionist state of 7 million bombs and kills and terrorizes Gaza and its people. Gaza is a landmass that is only 25 miles long and about 5 miles wide. It is a land that is the size of Las Vegas. So imagine a city or an area the size of the city of Las Vegas. That's how big it is. 
So the Zionist state of 7 million does what it does to that small piece of land. And this Zionist state is surrounded by Muslim countries, hundreds of millions of Muslims. And these hundreds of millions of Muslims surrounding that area, even if many of them wanted to go and help their brothers and sisters in Gaza to put a stop to the murder and occupation, there is no political will in their own countries. Because the sad reality is that the rulers of these lands are not much more than glorified security guards keeping them within those artificial borders, keeping them trapped outside. That's due to wahan, dear brothers and sisters. We wish for equity and justice in Palestine and other areas that are affected by tyranny. But we hardly establish justice and equity in our own families. How many Muslims are actually willing to put aside material comfort to sacrifice their reputation, their time, their energy and wealth for the sake of the ummah? The answer is that wahan has unfortunately become the norm. That is the sad reality. And although it's a sad reality, it's also a confirmation of the words of Rasulullah And so we say to our state, Sadaqa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. For better or for worse, this is exactly what he said would happen to the ummah. So he's described the sickness, he's described the symptoms, and he has also given us the medicine for this sickness. But what good is having the medicine if the medicine remains in the medicine cabinet? What good is the medicine that we know? if it remains in the glove compartment or console and we never take that medicine. We have to know the disease and we have to know the cure. But most importantly, we have to actually commit to taking that prophetic medicine. If we don't take the medicine, nothing will change. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspire us to true change and remove from us this wahan from our hearts and inspire us to make the hereafter our priority. Amin. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma sallallahu Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa afturu salati wa atamu taslimi ala Sayyidina Muhammadin al-Sadiq al-Ameen. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man istanna bi sunnatihi ila yawmiddin. Amma ba'd. Dear brothers and sisters, the historian Alauddin Ata al-Madik al-Juwayni wrote a book in Persian titled Tarikhu Jahan Qushay, which translates as The History of the World Conqueror. It is a historical account of the Mongol invasions and incursions into the Muslim lands. And in his book of history, he narrates that when Genghis Khan overran the Muslim powers in the east and sacked their cities and murdered untold thousands, as he entered those regions, he said to the people, I am the scourge of God over you because of your sins. That's what he said. 
He said, I am the punishment of God for your sins. And this is a situation where we would say, Allah caused him to say a word of truth. And way before Genghis Khan, in the 28th year after the hijrah of the Prophet wasallam, the first Muslim naval expedition was launched against Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. And at that time, the island of Cyprus was under the rule of the Byzantine Empire, which in that time was in its twilight years. It was falling. So the Muslim army that entered Cyprus quickly overran the small Byzantine garrison. And the people were soon paying tribute to the Muslim victors. On that expedition was the companion Al-Sahabi Al-Jaleel Sayyiduna Abu Darda radiallahu anhu. Abu Darda radiallahu anhu was watching everything as it unfolded and the great ease they felt and experienced as they quickly took over this island. And as he was watching it, he began to cry. And some of the other Muslims on the ship were very surprised. Why is he crying? And one of them goes to Abu Darda and says, Why are you crying? This is a moment of celebration. Allah gave us victory. And Abu Darda radiallahu anhu said, when asked why he's crying, how insignificant a people become to Allah when they neglect his commands. Here is a nation which was once mighty, that was once powerful, that once had dominion. Then they neglected the commands of Allah. Now look what has become of them. This is the sunnah of Allah in his creation. This is how the Sahaba in those early generations would view defeat and catastrophes. They realized the sunan of Allah, the ways of Allah in creation. Dear brothers and sisters, one of the signs of the last day is this weakness described in the hadith about the wahan. But it's not just limited to political or economic weakness. Those are symptoms. The real weakness is the weakness of iman and the weakness of virtue. And that brings us to the second hadith. The second hadith is also recorded by Abu Dawood in his Sunan from Ibn Umar radiallahu anhumah. And he relates that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam said, إِذَا تَبَايَعْتُمْ بِالْعِينَ وَأَخَذْتُمْ أَذْنَابَ الْبَقَرِ وَرَضِيتُمْ بِالزَّرْعِ وَتَرَكْتُمُ الْجِهَادِ صَلَّتَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ ذُلَّا لَا يَنْزِعُهُ he said, Sallallahu Alaihi wa Wasallam, when you deal in Ina transactions, which I will explain shortly, when you deal with Ina transactions, and when you hold the tails of cows, and you are content with farming, and you forsake jihad, Allah will cast humiliation upon you and will not lift it. Until you return to your religion. This hadith, like the other hadith, is so incredibly relevant to our times because it pinpoints other causes for our collective humiliation and weakness as a ummah. And it also gives us the cure. Let's break this hadith down a little bit. He begins by saying, If you engage in ina transactions, 
Ina transactions, it takes a little bit to explain what they are, but it's basically a loophole, a sneaky way to engage in usury, riba. It's a cunning legal trip. So the person is basically giving out money and getting money in return through a trick. For an example, an Ina transaction would be like this. Imagine a person named Zaid. He wants to borrow $500 that he repays within one year to Amr. But Amr wants $600 back. He doesn't want the principal. He also wants interest. But he knows he can't engage in that kind of riba. It's very blatant. So what does he do? Amr says to Zaid, Okay, I will sell you my phone for $600 and you will pay me within 12 months. So then Zaid agrees. Amr gives him the phone. Now Amr says to Zaid, Actually, I want to buy back my phone from you for $500. So now... What does he do? Zay sells the phone for $500. But from the first transaction, he was, borrow, he was going to borrow $600. What happens? He still owes $100. So he's paying that $100 over the course of a year. So now, Zayd, he's getting this $100 by in a, using a legal trick. It's a hila. It's a, basically a sneaky way to bypass the prohibition of riba. This is what it's describing. So these are two separate transactions when taken separately are okay, but together it's a way to engage in the riba. The haram of riba and then the haram of trying to fool Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this attitude is actually worse than the act of riba. And when this becomes widespread, basically people become like Pharisees, like those rabbis in the temple during the time of Prophet Isa who were engaging in riba, trading the silver coins with the picture of the idol for plain silver coins at an increase, getting profit on the backs of others. That is Ina. And then he says, if you do that, and and you hold on to the tails of cows. This is a figurative expression, obviously. And it's referring to how people in that time would use cows or oxen to drive and plow the earth. It's like holding on to the tail of a cow. So it's not a criticism of, of, agriculture, of agriculture per se, but it's a criticism of being so preoccupied with one's job that it becomes a greater concern than iman in preparing for the hereafter. Then he says, And you're content with farming. And that's very similar to holding the tails of cows because the person is so engrossed in just making their money, that, that is the only concern. That is the primary concern. They spend their time and their energy fattening their pockets rather than doing what is for the pleasure of Allah. jihad. That is the other one. The abandonment and forsaking of jihad. The means of strength, the means of honor, and the means of the ascendance of Allah's word. So that person, they neither wage a valid jihad, nor do they ever think about it, it never crosses their mind, nor do they engage in the jihad of the tongue by speaking out against disbelief and oppression and tyranny, nor do they engage in the jihad of the pen 
by writing what spreads the truth, nor do they engage in jihad of the soul by striving against their ego. They just abandon all struggle. They don't sacrifice for anything except for their pockets. He says, when all of this happens, when all of these things come together, what is the consequence? Sallatallahu alaykum dhullah. Allah will cast humiliation upon you. Sadaqa Rasulullah. Sadaqa Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. This is because al-jaza min jins al-amal. What you get is proportionate to what you give. If that's the kind of things that we do, if this is what we do, this is what we receive. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, in tansurullah yansurkum. If you give victory to Allah, Allah will give victory to you. And the mafhum al-mukhalafa, the converse understanding of that verse is in If you forsake Allah, Allah will forsake you. So every time a person is disobeying the command of the Prophet they are exposing themselves to some share of humiliation. Let those who oppose his order beware lest an affliction befall them or lest there visits them a painful punishment. When people do these kinds of things, what do they expect to happen? The Prophet ﷺ spoke in no uncertain terms. Allah will cast humiliation upon you. And this humiliation will come at the hands of tyrants ruling over them. And at the hands of other nations. And that has been the reality for a very long time, dear brothers and sisters. This is the sunnah of Allah in creation. When a person replaces good with evil, when they replace light with darkness, that is the inevitable outcome and no one should be surprised. When that becomes the norm, we invite tyrants. We invite that oppression. Not individually, not bilisan, but as a consequence, the collective consequence of our actions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this in the Qur'an. This is the Qur'anic understanding. وَكَذَٰلِكَ نُوَلِّي بَعْضَ الظَّالِمِينَ بَعْضًا بِمَا كَانُوا يَكْسِبُونَ Thus we let some of the unjust have power over others because of their misdeeds, because of what they did. This is the sunnah of Allah and His creation. What's the medicine then? He says all of these things, that this is what's going to happen. صَلَّطَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْكُمْ ذُلَّةً حَتَّى تَرْجِعُوا إِلَىٰ دِينِكُمْ until you return to your deen. There's 1.9 billion Muslims in the world, dear brothers and sisters. We're watching helplessly as innocents are being bombed in Gaza. Watching as tyrants in bordering nations do nothing but issue verbal condemnations. That's a humiliation. And that humiliation will continue to plague us until we commit ourselves to establishing the deen of Allah in our lives to fulfill the religious duties in our lives as Allah intended it in the way He intended it. No amount of secularizing, no amount of liberalizing, no amount of compromising Islam is going to change this reality. In fact, those things will just make it worse. What is required is nothing less than courage. Courage to return to the deen. Hatta tarji'u ila deenikum. And that entails that we honor Allah Ta'ala by honoring and revering His commands upon us in our lives. Between us and Him, 
and between us and other human beings. It means that we work for the hereafter and give it priority over our aims, our acquisitions, and the stuff of the world. It means that we wisely and courageously engage in the struggles and sacrifices that Allah has obligated upon us. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take us out of that wahan and to enable us to have that true return to embodying the deen as it should be. Allahumma ruddana ila deenika raddan jameela. Allahumma ruddana ila deenika raddan jameela. Allahumma unsur ahlal sidqi wal haqqi wal jihadi fi kulli mekan ya rahman rahimin ya rabbil alameen. Allahumma ruddana ila sunnati nabiyika sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama raddan jameela. اللهم حقق فينا الأوصاف المحمودة وجنبنا الأوصاف المذمومة ربنا آتنا في الدنيا حسنة وفي الآخرة حسنة وقنا عذاب النار اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد عبدك ورسولك النبي الرمي وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا بقدر عظمة ذاتك في كل وقت وحين سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين وقوموا إلى صلاتكم